This comes from Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the Word of God. Good morning. How are we doing? <laughs> uh, that's almost convincing. That's all right. That's all right. It's raining outside. It's been raining like every Sunday for, since 2018 started, it seems like. That's good, though, because in Scripture, like, rain's a really good thing, right? So, um, except for the flood, that was bad. <laughs> Take that out, maybe. Um, sorry. Um, so we're here and we're in the middle of a series called Manifesto, and we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. We're kind of coming to a close, but, but today we're, we're going back to hit a part that we intentionally kind of skipped over for this specific Sunday, and that was about fasting. And, and the reason is we wanted to lean more into the history of the church uh, when it comes to this idea of Lent. Uh, and I know a lot of times we just kind of discard that, or maybe you've been a part of a tradition uh, that has really embraced it. We, we just said, hey, how could it be a bad thing for us to consider our sin and consider uh, how good Jesus is and, and to fast and ask for more of him? How could that be a bad thing? So we're kind of going for it uh, together as a church. And I, I can remember the first time that I heard someone talk about Lent, I was in high school and uh, you know, I, I didn't grow up in the church, so uh, everything that I knew about the church was from people uh, typically in school or, or friends or neighbors or something like that. And, and I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, one of my buddies were at our locker in between classes, you know, getting our social studies book out ready to go on. He goes, so hey, RJ, what are you giving up for Lent? <laughs> I said, I don't know, homework? You know, like, I mean, what, what can you, what, what, what's Lent? How do, what do I give up, you know? What would be the best thing for me to not have in my life? Homework at that point. Uh, and so he says, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about giving up uh, meat, you know, for Lent. He goes, but, it, but, you know, I can give up meat because I can still eat soy burgers, and that's kind of like meat. And I was like, ah, that's debatable, man. I don't know, you know. Um, so so we, we begin to talk about Lent, and I, it was really strange to me that someone would give up something in their, uh, in their lives, like, like a thing that brings them comfort and nourishment in order to seek God. So that, that kind of drew me in a bit whenever I began to ask about that. But uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about fasting today, and we've never really talked about that corporately at New City Church um, in great detail, but uh, we're going to look into it today. But, but the tension we face is this. How can we move from seeing self-denial in fasting as something God is taking away from us to seeing that something, something that God wants to pour into us. Does that make sense? Because when we talk about Lent, we talk about how we're going to do without something. We talk about fasting, we're talking about how we're going to do without something. But really the whole thing that we're gaining is more of God. And so that's the tension we're going to battle today as, as we look at this. And, and our big idea for the sermon today is this. Uh, hunger for God grows through seasons of self-denial. So we, we've looked at the Matthew uh, 6, 16 through 18 passage. We're going to delve into it a little bit uh, more in our second point. But our first point, we're going to look at this idea of self-indulgence, the, the vanity of self-indulgence. And, and what is self-indulgence? It's basically just giving yourself whatever you want at any time you absolutely want it because you think that's what's best for you. 
And, and really, it's so pervasive in our lives and in our culture that we hardly recognize it anymore, right? We, we hardly recognize that, that it's a part of the, the liturgy of American uh, culture. You know, we, we, we kind of say, deny yourself nothing, pursue what feels good as long as it's possible, and that'll give you the best life. And, and Jesus says, you know, there's actually another way uh, to live. Really, really, it actually robs us when we live that way, it actually robs us from enjoying anything. I, I, think, I think that's kind of what Jesus is, is showing us. And, and, and one of the ways that the enemy uh, deceives us is by keeping us nibbling away at the world's goods. And internally, we're exchanging them for God. Um, you know, I'm no different. When, when I look at the Scriptures and I see, I, I see Moses, okay, and Moses... Uh, is leading the Israelites through the wilderness. They've been in captivity uh, in Egypt. He's leading them through the Red Sea, through the wilderness now for 40 years. And uh, at some point in that journey, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and he gets the Ten Commandments from God. And uh, he, he, he comes down off the mountain. He's fasting for 40 days. He's up there with God. God is in, you know, inscribing the, the, the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. And he's bringing them down as God's word for his people. And basically what that means is this. You want to know what, who God is? It's these words. This is who God is. This is the truest thing about God that you need to know today as God's people. He gives them the law. Now when he comes down off the mountain, he's furious. Why? Because it's been 40 days and Aaron has kind of taken over leading the people. And basically Aaron has gathered up all of the gold in the camp and he's melted it and made what? A golden calf. Now, now typically I look at that passage and I think man how could you guys do that I mean you bunch of idiots I mean how could you do it was just 40 days could you not have enough self-control but now I'm starting to look at it a little bit differently <laughs> I'm starting to think that maybe I would be the one that was like taking off my rings and my necklace as quickly as I can because why we want to see God we want to craft God into something that we can see feel taste and touch because we think that gives us the most comfort John Calvin, in his uh, work, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, puts it like this. I mean, he hits it, hits it hard. He says, the human mind, or some translations uh, tr translate it to heart, the human mind is a factory of idols. The human mind, stuffed as it is with uh, presumptuous rashness, dares to imagine a God suited to its own capacity. As it labors under dullness, is sunk in the grossest ignorance. It substitutes vanity and empty phantom in the place of God. These evils, to these evils another is added. To God whom has thus conceived inwardly, he attempts to embody outwardly. The mind in this way conceives the idol and the hand gives it birth. What he's saying is, is that we typically craft our idols and our gods to the taste of our appetites. And so the question to consider today is, what is your appetite? And, and an appetite, you know, is anything that you crave and desire. Now, uh, Jesus, when he talks about fasting, he, he mentions food specifically, and those are the very specific forms of fasting that we see in the Scriptures. But I think it's also broader than just food. It's, it's no less than food, but it's broader than food. So for you, what I want you to be considering as we think about self-indulgence and fasting and growing in God during this season, I want you to consider what it is that's your idol. 
that you're crafting in your heart. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's food, maybe it's, maybe it's drink, um, maybe it's some type of an electronic that's just holding you captive, some social media kind of thing. I mean, that's what it was for me, church. I mean, I, I, I went on this fast from, from some social media outlets because I just sensed that there was no joy in my life. It was just so volatile. It was just all over the place. And so I said, I'm just going to walk away from this for a season. This sounds so crazy, but I'm such an approval addict. This is where I get it from. And so I, I said, I'm just going to walk away for it from a season and I have not really brought it back into my life. And that was about six months ago. So whatever it is for you, I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to search you and maybe bring that to mind uh, this morning. You know, this, this, this struggle isn't uncommon in the Scriptures. I mean, I think about King Solomon, okay? So if you've got a Bible, let's open up to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, where King Solomon talks about this, this struggle, this, this, this pursuit of vanity. Now, King Solomon, uh, David's son, uh, the wisest person to ever walk the face of the earth, face of the earth and, and, and he asked for wisdom and God gave it to him. Uh, but he still had all this wisdom, and then he had, it was coupled with all this flesh, right? So here's how he describes how that kind of worked out. King Solomon says this, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched my heart on how to cheer my body with wine. And all the while, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during these few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools to which water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions and herds and flocks, more than anyone had ever seen before me in, Jer in Jerusalem. I also gathered myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I, I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of many sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had experienced in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So what's he saying? He said, look, um, I've tried everything, and to anyone who thinks they've tried everything, I've actually had the wisdom, the power, and the money to try more. I've tried everything. I've tried to stuff everything that I can possibly stuff into my life. You know, uh, the abuse of power by having, you know, slaves and, and the, the pursuit of sex to no end with concubines, uh, pleasure and, and entertainment. I've had singers, food, wine, houses. I mean, I've had it all. I've stuffed everything that I can possibly stuff into this hole and it's still a bottomless pity thing. It's a striving after the wind. It's, it's like trying to catch the wind is what he's going after. And then he goes on in the end of Ecclesiastes 2, and he basically says, look, the only way you can enjoy anything in life is through God. If you try to pursue things 
and to pursue experiences apart from God, you'll never be able to enjoy them. You'll always be striving and chasing after the wind. So when you, when you this hits us all to some degree, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. We, 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 we want more, we want to consume more. We pursue it uh, more than we realize because of the place that we live, which is the richest country in the history of the world, right? And so it's so pervasive that we can't see, but when you, when you think about it, I found that a good way to chase whatever my kind of idol is is to start with the question, where's my joy gone? Where's my joy? If you're a Christian in here, uh, God has promised to give you joy. It's, it's a fruit of the Spirit, a byproduct of His Spirit living inside of you. The question I begin to ask is, where is my joy? And, and I start to get hints of it when I see things that give me small joys, small laughs, small pleasures. And, and I begin to see what's touching on the pursuit and the vehicle of my joy. And it's typically those things that need a season of reprieve to let God fill the vacuum in your heart. Okay? And so, so this, is, this is what fasting does for us. It's where we take a season away from something that is a good gift that God gives us to enjoy so that we might enjoy God more and even the things that God has for us more. That's what fasting does. Uh, Richard Foster in his book um, about spiritual disciplines, he says this, that fasting is the voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. I'm not going to ask how many people have really pursued fasting because I think I've pursued fasting when I was a bit younger for all the wrong reasons. I remember doing a 30-hour famine and it was just like, it was like, okay, we can wait 30 hours without eating, guys, because there's a buffet on the other side of this, right? And so you just kind of hold off and then you gorge yourself. That's not what fasting is. It's letting yourself, it's pursuing pain for the purpose of God feeling filling your life with joy and pleasure and his presence. So how do we begin to develop an appetite for more than we can get with our hands? How do we begin to truly enjoy God's good gifts? We have to intentionally walk through seasons of self-denial, both corporately and individually, because what our hands can acquire is not always what's best for us, because it's just rising to the level of the appetite that we've set for ourselves in this world. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, when you fast, I'm going to reprogram you. I'm going I'm to reset you so that you can enjoy me. So let, let's kind of move on with this. Uh, so let's look at the value of self-denial now. Like, like what does this look like? Uh, well, self-denial is, longing, is a longing for God. It's, it's how we're made. It's, it's, it's everyone in life. I was thinking, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you've come from, and what your life is about, you are longing for God whether you know it or not. And so for those of you in here that are not following Jesus yet, um, you're longing for God. And those of you that are following Jesus, you're longing for God too, but sometimes it gets kind of manipulated and skewed in how we pursue God. So you think about maybe the most worldly person you know. Maybe it's you or maybe it's someone else. Um, it's probably me for me, but um, you think about the pursuits that they go down, the, the roads that they travel along, and they're always looking for God, whether they know it or not. They're, they're longing for God. You, know, you think about your, 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 your crazy uncle to your bossy sister, and those who grieve and struggle, um, those that have you know, struggled with depression, those who seem so happy and clappy all the time. All of us are longing for God. We all have that 
in common. And, and, and guys, this longing for God will never stop until Jesus returns. This is one of the things we learn about fasting. I mean, I think about 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 8. Uh, Paul says, we, we would prefer to be absent from the body and at home with the Lord. Now, that's what fasting reminds us of, is that this world is not our home. And that in our heart of hearts, the Holy Spirit living inside of us would prefer to be with the Lord. And that's what fasting reminds you of. That I'd rather be with Jesus, but I'll seek him and build his kingdom while I'm here. And when we get off kilter and we're in these seasons like Solomon was in, where we deny ourselves no pleasure, we've forgotten that this world is not our home. We've forgotten that. So how can we access this deeper grace that God has for us, that, that sticks with us, that, that, that fills us, that, that lasts and it doesn't change? I mean, Jesus, you think about Jesus, how did Jesus access the deep grace of God in his humanity when he went face to face, fist to fist with the devil? What did he do? He went into the wilderness for 40 days and he fasted. And guess what? The Bible says that he was hungry, Right? Jesus was hungry because he was fasting, but it, but it pushed him into the heart of God when he was tempted by the enemy. The same means that Jesus tapped into the deep grace of God in his humanity is the same means that God has for us. That's how we tap into it. You know, before Jesus left the earth, he humbled himself one evening and he, he denied himself. And his, his disciples came in, they'd been on the road, they, they, they had been traveling, their feet were filthy. And in John 13, we see this instance where he, he kneels down as his disciples come into this rented room that they're, you know, having the, 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 um, the Passover feast at in Jerusalem. And, and he begins to wash their feet. He begins to humble himself. He is, he is the Son of God, and yet he can't find a low enough place because of what God's sent him to do. You think about that, then you think about, just when you think he couldn't go any lower, he He's betrayed by one of his boys, Judas, right? He lets it happen. Peter tries to take up for him. He says, no, it's got to happen. He's arrested by Roman soldiers. The Romans that are occupying the land that belongs to him, right? That belongs to his offspring. He's unjustly punished and he's nailed to a cross. And why? So that our sin could become his sin, so that his grace could become our grace. Does that make sense? This is what he's come to do for us. Now, church, we've got to tap into the deeper grace that God has for us. You know, it, it, it's, it's fine to look in and read and think about the grace of God, but you've got to feel it too. And fasting leads us to feel the grace of God, to search, to long for the grace of God more than the things that can fill our bellies. So let's look at fasting uh, as a means of accessing the deeper grace of God. The first thing is this. Fasting uh, gives us a long-term view of spiritual uh, inheritance. So, so in this passage in Matthew chapter 16, I'll read it real quick again to remind you. This is right after the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Jesus says this, Hey, and when you fast, those are probably the most convicting words in all of the scripture that we're reading today. And when you fast, right, uh, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. He says, truly I say to you, They've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret. And your Father who's in secret will reward you. I want to focus on that word reward here. 
This idea of spiritual inheritance for us. The, the manner in which the disciples fast shows where their home is. It reveals where home is for them. So the disciples that were fasting and they were seeking to be seen by others, so they were making, they were manipulating their faces to really look weak and, and, and to have some type of ascetic piety. That's what they were trying to do. And Jesus says, hey, look, don't fast like that. Like, put on your Sunday best, take a shower, you know, put a little stuff in your hair, curl it up, and fast. And don't let anyone know. And don't let anyone know because you're not doing it for anyone else. You're doing it so that the love of God and the grace of God might swell in your soul like it never has before. And if you follow Jesus, His Spirit is living inside of you. And that the Spirit is just activated inside of us, even to a deeper level when we fast, because there is a delayed sense of reward in the economy of grace. We withhold enjoying for a season so that, so that we can see God more clearly, that we can long for Him more earnestly. Fasting teaches our hearts to long for the right home. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Paul writes this. He says, in, in Him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him. So, so when you were saved, here's what happened inside of you. Here's what happened in your soul. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So, so to be sealed means to be secured and preserved no matter what happens in your life. You're sealed. When you, if you've ever canned any items before, we don't do a lot of canning at our house, but my family does. And When you, when you can, you're, you're trying to preserve something that you've harvested for a long season of time. And so there's a seal that's put on top of the jar. And the seal lasts for a long time. The Holy Spirit's seal lasts even longer, right? It, it lasts so long that it lasts until Jesus returns. The Holy Spirit is given as our guarantee. So if you follow Jesus, you already have the Spirit and He's come to seal your heart in order to remind you of the right home. And you access that deeper grace through seasons of fasting. You, you remember that, that Jesus, that he, He's the treasure. He, he's the down, that the Holy Spirit is the down payment. He's the guarantee that Jesus is actually coming back for us. Megan and I watched this movie on Friday night called Lion. Some of you have seen it. It's an Australian film. It's on Netflix if you partake of that kind of thing. And, um, and it's this story uh, that's about this Indian family. And um, this Indian family and uh, this son, his name is Saru, uh, basically goes out with his brother one night to work. Uh, they work very hard, uh, laborious jobs. And uh, he goes out with his brother, and he kind of accidentally gets lost. He's a five-year-old, and he gets sent on this, he falls asleep in this train, and this train, he's the only person on it, is like decommissioned, and it's going all the way to Calcutta, which is like over a thousand miles away. And he gets trapped on this train, and, and a few days later, he gets off the train in Calcutta, which is a huge city compared to where he's from, and he's lost, and he wanders around the city for, for months, and uh, He's a five-year-old, and eventually he gets taken into an orphanage that's not a great place. 
And then he gets adopted. So, so keep in mind, guys, he's got a family. They just can't find him. And so he goes on this journey of adoption for 25 years where he's adopted and this Australian family cares for him in Tasmania. And so he, he, he just he, he, he senses all the pleasures of the world. Like Australia is a really beautiful country and it's a really affluent country and there's lots of things to enjoy. There's lots of privileges that Indian families can't have in Australia. And, and he, he gets to this place when he's in college and he's like, I just can't let myself enjoy these things because I know that my family's still looking for me. And so he goes on this journey of looking for his family and you know, over the course of a few years, he traces all of his memories back to where his home is and finds them. And he goes back and they have this beautiful reunion. It doesn't change his reality. He still goes back to Australia, but his foster mom and his birth mom, they kind of reunite and they just kind of grieve and celebrate all at the same time. And the thing that Saru was after was home. He was after home more than anything else. So my question to you is this, is are you after home? And, and how do you pursue home with God? What does it look like for you? Second thing that fasting does is it helps us forego the pleasures, the cheaper pleasures of life. So, you know, when he says when you fast, that's like, you know, the most convicting verses about this because it's not, it's not a regular rhythm that Christians have that I meet, that I meet anyway. Uh, it's not a regular rhythm for me as much as I would like it to be. And so I don't say that to condemn anyone. I just say that somehow along the way we've decided that, ah, I know Jesus says that, but we know better. You know, that's kind of what we've said about this, right? But fasting touches on the cheap pleasure of religion. The cheap pleasure of religion is this, is when Jesus is talking in Matthew 6, 16 through 18, he says, he says look, when you fast, don't do it for other people. That's what religion is. Religion is using the grace of God in your life to present yourself in some way to other people. That's what religion is. It is, it is trying to build a rapport and build a spiritual life uh, as you look at others. But relationship is, is more about building a home with God and, and not caring as much or not catering as much to others. It's, it's seeking God above Oh, he's saying that, you know, when the end goal of your fasting is to be seen by others, that's your reward. I hope you enjoyed it. That's the cheap pleasure that you get, is other people saying, wow, great job, wow, fasting, great. This is when you, when you pursue God and you fast, and you, you fast in this hidden way, you're looking for a deeper grace that can't be found in any other way. It's hidden in God. Now, I want to say this about fasting. Because we don't fast, for the most part, we don't fast, we also don't know what it's really like to feast. This might be the most important thing I say today. Because we don't fast, we, we don't know what it's like to really feast on the grace of God. You see, the Bible fluctuates between seasons of feasting and seasons of fasting. This is why the Israelites, they would come, they would come home to Jerusalem and they would celebrate and feast every single year. Like three or four different feasts they would come home to. They would make these pilgrimages home so that they can feast and celebrate the goodness of God. And they were, you know, the, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover Feast. They were all of these historical feasts that would remind them who God was. And in those moments, there was a real feast. It was like to the nines. They would feast as well as they could within their means. And everything else was off the table. 
But they also had seasons of fasting. And because of the kind of the polarizing nature between feasting and fasting, the contrast, the feast was all the more better because you knew what it was like to fast. And this is what, what we don't do well. The, the lane that we typically stay in church is this one. It's just kind of this steady diet of overindulgence that, that just kind of makes you kind of sick all the time. You know what I'm talking about? It's like when you, you've gone to a buffet, right? And you're like, man... I'm going to knock this buffet out. But you walk away and you're like, man, I'm miserable for like a week, right? You're like, man, I can't believe I ate that much food. It's, it's, what, it's kind of the, that's the diet of our culture is that if we could just indulge, just kind of overindulge all the time instead of on this rhythm of feasting and, and, and fasting. And, and it's captivity to our souls because we don't know what it's really like to know God and to treasure him and seek him and behold his beauty and grace. It's a cheap and harmful way to live. I mean, when you think about feasting, I want you to think about the story of the prodigal son, which comes out of Luke chapter 15. It's a story we we come back to often here at New City. And the reason we come back to it often is because we can kind of find ourselves in this story no matter where we're at in life. And the story is this dad that's looking for his son, and and his son um, has, has taken his inheritance, and he's gone, and he's blown it, and his son wants to come home. And the dad wants the son to come home more than the son wants to come home, actually, because we know this because he's a really rich guy, and he's standing at the road day after day waiting for his son to come home. And then one day he finally humbles himself enough to come home to his father. And when he comes home to his father, his father throws a feast. He gives out the, the golden ring, the robe that's like, like never worn, and the fattened calf, like I mean, the, the, the most lavish feast. And, and when we look at that, if we're honest, we think that's a little reckless. Like how many zeros did that feast cost you? But to the father, oh, it wasn't enough to the father. And to the son, it was like, I can't believe they're doing this. That's how grace feels. And that's what it's like to feast. How often does your family feast together? Feast around the table, feast on the grace of God. And how can we lean deeper into feasting? Was through also considering fasting. Lastly, fasting teaches us to mourn the loss of a risen Savior. Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17 says this. The disciples of John came to Jesus and they were saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast and the disciples do not fast? You see they're looking around. Who's fasting, right? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will tear away from the garment, and, and a worse tear is made. Neither is a new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But the new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. And so what he's saying here is this, is that fasting, his disciples didn't fast because they were with Jesus. Fasting for us, church, serves a new purpose than it did for the Israelites at that time because Jesus has come. We already have him in a measure. We, we talk often about this in New City, the, the already and the not yet. It's, it's the, the already is this, let me explain it. The already uh, is this. It means that there are already things for the church and for God's people to enjoy that are the kingdom of God, God's presence with us, things that Jesus has given us to enjoy. Salvation, adoption, sanctification. He saved us. We can enjoy that right now. That's the already. 
But he also says there's, there's this sense of not yetness in our souls. Things that are still broken and, and, and they're not put together and, and, and we don't know how to make sense of them. There are parts of our, our families, our lives, our neighborhoods, and our cities and ourselves that are deeply broken and we want to be freed from them. Jesus says, hey, that's not going away until I return. So the time to fast, according to Matthew chapter 9, is when Jesus has ascended and gone to heaven and we long for more of his presence. And the moments that we long for more of his presence most are the moments that we see the most brokenness. And so where is brokenness in your life right now? What is it that God has laid on your heart, this burden to bear, this brokenness that you feel? And do you miss Jesus when you think about it? Do you miss him? Sure, you've never seen him in person, probably. Do you miss him? Because Revelation 21 gives us this beautiful picture of restoration and how he'll wipe away every tear and he'll, he'll, he'll remake the earth and he'll do away with sin and, and he'll judge the world and it'll be the most beautiful thing. Do you miss him today? Because if you miss him, Jesus says, if you want to grow in that longing, instead of trying to put something in it that's never going to fill it up, he says fast. David Mathis says it like this, we fast from what we can see and taste because we have tasted and seen the goodness of the invisible God and are desperately hungry for more of him. Have you tasted and seen the goodness of God this morning, church? Have you seen him in the valley of the shadow of death in your own life? And do you long for more of him? If you want more of Jesus in your life, I, I want to I challenge you to take a radical, short-term measure of fasting. And, and why not do it over Lent? I don't know what it looks like for you. I'm not going to prescribe, hey, here's what the church is going to do. You know, you know, no red meat, no alcohol, this, chocolate, whatever. I'm not going to say that. But what I'm going to ask you to do is to earnestly pray and ask the Holy Spirit what it would look like for you to enter in to a season of fasting so that you can develop a palate of feasting more deeply. I want to give you just a, a few just tidbits to help you get on your way with that. The first one is this. How do we develop a, a habit of fasting in our rhythm with God? Fast with a purpose. Don't fast just to fast. Have a purpose. Have something you're seeking in the Lord Jesus. You know, we see in the Bible that, that people fasted for specific purposes, and they were for different types of links. Maybe you've got a big decision coming up that you need to make. Fast. Maybe there's a move. Maybe there's a relationship. I don't know what it is. Fast. Ask for God's clarity. Maybe you're spiritually dry. Maybe you're, maybe you're just struggling with just a sense of just kind of just, you just feel low and depressed right now. Fast. Seek more of his face. Maybe you're sensing a longing for someone to come to faith. Someone you've been sharing the gospel with or you want to share the gospel with and you just don't know how fast. Inconvenience yourself for the sake of their eternal security with Jesus. Maybe you're joyously addicted to that little computer in your pocket or in your hand right now. And it's all you think about when you wake up or when you go to bed and if it's got enough power and, you know, this and that. Maybe you just need to shut it off for a while to the best of your ability. You know, I'm, I'm not, I know that fasting from food uh, probably 
Not everyone can do that to the same degree. Just figure it out and seek the Lord on it. Let him search your heart. Second thing is this, have a plan. You know, so, you know, what will you do when you're not eating? When you have a lunch meeting and, uh, and, and everybody's, you know, pigging out and you're like, I'm fasting, guys, sorry. You know, have a plan for what you're going to do in the times when you're not eating, you're not doing whatever you're fasting from. Go for a prayer rock, read a, read a book, write in your journal, whatever it is, have a plan to do that. Uh, the third thing is to start small. You know, don't go for a 40-day only water fast right out the gate. You know what I mean? You're going to flame out. You're not going to make it. Or I'm going to be visiting you, you know, when you have an IV in your arm or something. Don't do that. Just, you know, start small. You know, do a juice fast. Do a couple days. Just do maybe one, a couple meals a week. I don't know what it is. Just seek the Lord and start with something that will require faith but, but won't harm your body. Um, this, the, and, and fourthly, this is the last one, be creative. You know, food is the obvious fast. Um, but, but think about other uh, vices that you have in your life that you could take out for a season of leaning more into the Lord. Um, church, every time that our belly growls, uh, the heart of God roars and calls us, and we sense a greater awareness of His presence in our lives. Don't run away from that. So I'll come back to the question that my buddy asked me in high school. What are you giving up for Lent? Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that, that you've not only given us the grace of the gospel to enjoy, to feast on, and to fast we can grow in, uh, but you've also, you've also given us your presence just today, God, and so we're thankful for that. Lord, we ask that you uh, would challenge us today as we think about something Real physical, real tangible, a means of grace that's available to us, God. Lord, would we consider it? The spiritual discipline is not in itself an end. It is a means. But God, just think about all of the deeper grace that maybe we've missed out on because we've just said, I'm good. I don't think I need that. So God, challenge us today and meet us um, as we seek you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.